before we jump into the word, let's pray together. Lord, we do come before you today, and Lord, we, even as we just sang a few moments ago, you have no rival. You have no equal. You're the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we know that day will finally come at your appearing, at the second coming of Christ, when everyone will recognize that yours is the kingdom above all kingdoms. Yours is the power above all powers. Your reign is exalted over all of the earth, and you are indeed worthy of all glory and all praise and all majesty and all triumph and all all, all. But Lord, as we, as we walk through this life, Lord, we recognize that indeed in this last week, because of our own sinfulness, even in though you have no rival, Lord, we allow rival thoughts and rival attitudes rival pathways to distract us from your glorious name. Lord, you take some moments here to confess our sins to you. Lord, in this last week, we, there are times when we took the reins into our own hands, when we decided to go in our own direction, when we decided to live life according to our own Wisdom, and did not follow your word or your will or your ways. But we confess that in this last week that we have pretended at moments that the world and the future and our lives and our futures were solely and totally dependent upon us. And Lord, that, well, we wouldn't necessarily say it that way. That's what we were doing when we were worrying in this last week. Pretending for moments that is as if there were no help and as if there were no there were no Christ to call upon in our day of trouble. And so, Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we confess our sins of gossip to you. There were times in this last week where we idolized information. And we bowed at the altar of looking awesome in the eyes of others because of some little tidbit that we could share that would run somebody else down. And Lord, we are sinners. We are information idolaters. Lord, we need your mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that even as we confess our sins to you, Lord, we stand on your promise and your word that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we thank you that even though our sins are many, your mercy is more. 
And so, Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord, I pray that wave of mercy would come over our souls to recognize that it is not because of our own goodness and grace by which we're saved, but it is only because your mercy and grace and love. And so, Lord, I pray that through this sermon today that you would equip us, equip us to live for Jesus in light of the end because the end is indeed near. So, Lord, speak to our hearts from your word. Equip us. Help us to live more for Jesus. Help us to be more in love with Jesus. Help us to long for your appearing. Do all of that in our souls today and this week. Lord, we praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 32 and reading through the end of the chapter. Matthew records the words of Jesus. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, there were, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding grain with a handmill. One will be taken, the other one left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you also are to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, My master is delayed, and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this passage, Lord, the weight of it just falls on us to open our eyes so that we realize that this age could close at a moment's notice. And there will be many who have grown cold and are not prepared for that day, who are not prepared for your appearing. And so, Lord, I pray that the effect of this sermon would be to wake up the lost who are not ready for his appearing. And, Lord, I pray that it would be 
to protect those who are saved from apathy, from growing cold and growing comfortable with life in this world and not living in daily expectation of your coming. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we talk a lot in our culture and our world about being prepared. Being prepared for whatever may come. In fact, we as a society here in the United States have even have governmental agencies that are solely focused on helping us be prepared. Be prepared for anything. Be prepared for whatever may come. In fact, even, even we even have a website called ready.gov where you can go and find out how to be prepared in case of just anything that could possibly, at least from their perspective, that could possibly happen. And if you were to read through this website... At the end of reading through every possibility and everything that might happen, you would probably never leave your house. (laughs) Let me give you a sampling of the things that we're supposed to be ready for. We're supposed to be prepared for attacks in public places, avalanche, bioterrorism, chemical emergencies, cybersecurity, drought, earthquakes, explosions, extreme heat, floods, hazardous materials, fire, fire, household chemicals, Hurricanes, oh my goodness, household chemical, nuclear explosions, nuclear power plants, ah! <laughs> pandemics, power outages, radiological dispersion devices, severe weather, space weather. <laughs> I've never had space weather keep me up at night. <laughs> Tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanoes, fire, or, or wildfires, and simply winter weather. <laughs> Not only that, but people have taken this anxiety, this angst of our particular age, and even turned it into a book, which is that has then been turned into a game. There's a, a book and a game now that are actually called the worst case scenario. <laughs> and it's a survivalist kind of book. And the game turns it into, do you know how you would survive in this kind of situation? And so you draw a card and see if you can get it right. And if you get it right, then you get to move X number of spaces. So in this particular game, in this worst case scenario game, you might draw a card that would say, do you know how to survive an elephant stampede? (laughs) Never really thought about it. (laughs) Another card might say, oh, your worst case scenario is you're in the teeth of an alligator. How are you getting out? (laughs) Now, I, I would laugh at that, but that was actually in the news in Utah like a few weeks ago. So, um, so maybe there might be a situation when, when that might happen. There's another card that actually says, what do you do if you're trapped in a sewer? <laughs> Don't breathe, right? So, <laughs> and then my favorite is, what if you're, what if you're abducted by aliens, right? So <laughs> all kinds of different things. But I, I would submit to you that I found nothing in the book and nothing on the website and nothing in the game that really talked about the worst case scenario. The absolute worst case scenario is Jesus returns and you're not ready. That is the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is that Jesus comes that the end of times is here. It comes upon us. Jesus here in this passage says that he's coming at an hour when many do not expect. When many are not prepared for it. 
And so many are going to be going about life. Maybe even, maybe even some who hear this sermon. Maybe some who've heard similar sermons over the years. Like, he hadn't come for 2,000 years. He's probably not coming back in my lifetime. I don't have to worry about that. And the worst case scenario for eternity is this is Christ appears, Christ comes, or the day of your passing is there. And you are not ready for His appearing. You're not ready to see Christ face to face. That is the worst case scenario. And so what I want to do today is I want to be speaking to two different kinds of people. One, I want to talk to those who do not yet know Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't want to talk to you about these things. I want to warn you of these things. I want to talk to you about how you can be saved, how you can be prepared for that day when Jesus returns. I also want to talk to those who are Christians. And I want to warn you of apathyism. I want to warn you of this apathetic spirit of our age, even within the churches, this this ice-cold nature of our hearts that just kind of yawns at the second coming of Christ and doesn't care about future things, doesn't care that Jesus is returning again and would just like Him to kind of leave us alone so we can do our thing, we can live our lives. And that kind of apathyism that is in so much of the church today, we need to guard our souls against that to where we long for His appearing and we live in light of His appearing. So first, way to be prepared for the coming day of the Lord. Number one is this. Prepare for Christ's return by soaking in God's Word. Prepare for Christ's return by soaking in His Word. Word. Throughout chapters, the rest of chapter 20, 24 and 25 here in Matthew, Jesus is, as the master preacher here speaking on the Mount of Olives, is giving illustration after illustration after illustration. You ever want a, a reason why we should give illustration in sermon? Here it is. Jesus gives about seven or eight of them here at the end of his sermon. But the interesting thing is all of these illustrations at the end of chapter 24 and after chapter 25 and chapter 25, they all have the same point. All of the same point. All of these illustrations are pointing to this one reality. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. And the worst case scenario, as we'll see even next week, the worst case scenario is that Christ could appear and you not be ready. He gives several illustrations. He talks about the fig tree at first. Then he goes into a historical illustration of Noah. Then he goes into a societal illustration of working in the fields and grinding grain. Then he points to a thief in the night and to a faithful servant. Then in chapter 25, he goes to a wedding celebration and gives an illustration from a wedding. Then he talks about economics, giving the parable of the talents. Then he goes out to the fields and agriculture, and he talks about separating the sheep from the goats. All of those parables have the same point. Are you ready? Are you ready for His appearing? In the first illustration in chapter 24, verses 32 through 35, Jesus points to a fig tree. And He says, when the fig tree tree is blooming, you know that summertime is here. When you see blossoms on the fig tree there in Israel, you know, hey, it's getting ready to be summer. I I saw a similar illustration last week when I was over in the Wallawas. And I took a picture of it. I, 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 I want to show that to you. Oh, my word. <laughs> they have trees over there. Ah! <laughs> 
stunning, and mountains. Oh, it's beautiful, and a lake. But I, I can look at this fall, at, at this picture, this beauty, of, this beauty of God's creation. And years from now, I'll be able to look at this picture, and I know exactly the time of year that I took it. What time of year did I take it? I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, I took it last week because it's fall. How would I know that it's fall? Well, I can look at the picture and say, oh, I see, I see yellow trees. I see yellow leaves on those trees surrounded by green, evergreens and then some reds and then blue sky. That's a fall picture. My other pictures that I, that I took of the beauty of God's creation, it was, it's unmistakable. It was fall at its height. And Jesus' point here in this passage is that you, you know how to interpret pictures. You know how to interpret the seasons. You can look at a tree and tell what season it is. In the same way, you should be able to look at what's going on in the world, having heard what I have said in my word and been recorded down for us. We can look at Christ's word, know the signs, know the warnings that Jesus gave us here in this passage, and we should know, indeed, the day of his appearing is drawing near. The day of his coming is closer than it used to be. Jesus, in the first part of Matthew 24, gives us some of the signs of the times. He talks about wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and viruses and all of these kinds of things and we see that they will and earthquakes in various places and he says these are like the birth pains now what is a birth pain we talked about it a couple of weeks ago but a birth pain just to remind you starts off slow and low intensity and as you get closer to the coming of the child those birth pains happen with increasing frequency and increasing intensity and when you start seeing these things happening with an increase in frequency and an increase in intensity, then you know the seasons. You know, you won't know the day, you won't know the hour, but you know this is the kind of a season when we need to be prepared for the coming of our Christ. And I think we live in a day when we must be prepared for that moment when the trumpet of God resounds and the dead in Christ shall rise. We must be prepared for the day of His appearing. Now in verse 34, he says something that challenges some people. And then some people even point to it and say, ah, there it is. The Bible has, has falsehood in it. Bible's not accurate. In verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Now, some say, well, Jesus was mistaken there because that generation passed before his coming. That generation of the disciples that were standing before him passed away, and now it's been over 2,000, or 2000 years since he said these things. He was obviously mistaken in that. Well, I don't believe that. <laughs> I believe Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about. And we have to understand, what does he mean by the word generation? What he means by the word generation there is this generation of humanity, this generation of this particular age, and specifically the generation of the end times, those who experience the abomination of desolation and those who see these things happening, that generation, when these things start to take place, that generation will not pass away until the coming of Christ. That generation will see the coming of the Messiah, the, com the second coming of Jesus. Now, how can you be prepared, though? He is coming. How can you be prepared? I think verse 35 gives us a huge clue into how to be prepared for his appearing. 
In verse 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says it like this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We know from Peter that this whole world is passing away. This world will one day be dissolved by fire. We know that all of the jobs, all of the recreation, all of the trinkets, all of the cars, all of the houses, all of the mountains, all of the stuff, all of the virus, everything in this world is passing away. It's temporary. It will be gone. Grasp onto it, if you will. But one day, it will be ripped out of your hands. One day, it will not last. One day, it will turn to dust except for one reality and the reality that jesus points to that will last forever as he says my word will not pass away heaven and earth will pass away it will all be made new one day yet his word will not pass away and so if you want to give your life to something that lasts, something that matters, something that will stand the test of time, something that will ta- stand the testing of the fires at the end of the world, if you want to give your life to something that will really matter, that will really last, give your life to the Word of God. Give your life to acting it out and doing it in your life. Saturate your soul. Saturate your heart. Saturate your mind with this book. It is an investment that will last for eternity. In fact, every time you open the book, every time you come and hear a sermon, every time you read a verse, did you know that indeed is end times preparation? You want to know how to get ready for the end times? It has zero to do with storing beans in your basement. It has everything to do with storing the word in your hearts. That's how you prepare for the last days. That's how you prepare for the end times. In fact, perhaps there are many who focus on beans and who should be focusing on words. Getting God's word in their heart and their soul. Yes, but how? How do you do that? How do you get God's word in your heart? I'm going to share with you an illustration that's been helpful for me over the years. This actually comes from the navigators. Navigators Ministry. If you've never heard of the Navigators, I highly commend them to you. They were started around World War II. A guy named Dawson Trotman started the Navigators. I commend his biography to you. It's called Dawes. Excellent biography. And he, what happened was Billy Graham was seeing all these people saved in his crusades that he was happening or revival meetings that was happening in that particular era. And he needed somebody to help disciple all these people that were getting saved. That's how the Navigators Ministry was started and got connected. It was started a little bit before that, but then it got connected with Billy Graham Ministries. It's a pretty interesting history. And here's how they say to get a handle, get a hold. He's holding the Bible. How do you get a handle on the Word of God? Five ways. How do you get a handle on the book? Number one, you memorize. You memorize verses. Memorize verses. You hide God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him, Psalms 119 says. And so we memorize the word of God. Well, how do you do that? Well, several ways that's helpful, I found helpful. There's an app for that. Now, unfortunately, the app won't like download it into your brain, but it'll help you to do that. <laughs> the app, one of them is called the Bible, Bible Memory app. The second is called the Fighter Verses app by Desiring God Ministries. Both of those apps I found helpful. The benefit of the Fighter Versus app is it just tells you what to memorize this week, so that's helpful. The other one, you put in what you want to memorize. And so, 
Open up one of those Bible apps. Pick a verse. Memorize scripture. Which scriptures do you memorize? Memorize verses that will encourage you. Are you dealing with a particular struggle? Are you dealing with worry? Are you dealing with anxiety? Find verses that deal with the particular thing that you are dealing with and memorize those verses. Maybe you're dealing with a particular sin. Find verses that deal with that particular issue that you're dealing with and memorize those verses. Memorize verses that will help you to share the gospel with somebody. If you don't have John 3.16 memorized, that would be a great start. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Memorize the word of God. Get it in your heart. Get it in your soul. Secondly, second way to get the word of God in your life is to study the Bible. Study the Bible. What is studying the Bible? Studying the Bible is reading the Bible with a pen and paper in hand with a couple of helps. Studying the Bible is getting together with a group of people to discuss what you have learned from the Word, studying the Word together and applying it to your lives. Now, there's an ample opportunity at our church to study the Bible. You can't go about, there's almost no day a week that we don't have Bible studies meeting. If you want to be involved in a Bible study, let me encourage you to write that down on a card, one of those connect cards that's in the, in the pew in front of you. Take it, write your name down, write your contact information. Say, Pastor, I want to be involved in a Bible study. Put that in the box at the back, and I'll get a hold of you this week and help you find one. We have men, women's Bible studies. There's men's Bible studies. There's Wednesday night Bible study. We have Bible study that meets in the hour right before this. So get in God's Word and study the Word together. There's a young group, a young people's group that meets on, meets on Thursday nights. Get in the Word and study it. So memorize it, study it. Read the Word of God. This is end times preparation. When you're reading the Bible, it is preparing your soul to be ready for the last days. Read the Word. Use a Bible reading plan. Use a plan. Don't use just the random method. Let's see what God would say to me today. That's sometimes helpful, but usually it's better to have a plan. What we're going to do next year is we are going to actually read the Bible together as a church. We'll have a church-wide Bible reading plan that we'll suggest to you. If you have your own, you can do that too, but we'll have a church Bible reading plan that we're going to walk through together in the next year. And then on Wednesday nights, I'll just be talking in our Wednesday night meetings from that particular passages that we, wrote, or that we read that week. So read the Bible, hear the Bible, be in church, be here to hear the preaching of the Word of God. Don't underestimate the effect that hearing regular preaching of the Word of God will have on your soul. And then finally, meditating on the Word of God. Meditate. The reason why it's the thumb is because you should think about what you're, what you're doing every time you meditate on it, study the Bible, read the Bible, and hear the Bible preached. Anytime that any of those things are going on, you should always be thinking about it. Why? Because if you're like me, you can read something and not have any idea what in the world you just read after you read it. Anybody there with me? <laughs> I am totally there. I could be reading through a whole chapter of the Bible and like, what was just happening? I was just thinking about lunch. <laughs> or what was going on? I was just thinking of how awesome the Sooners were yesterday or whatever. <laughs> I had to throw that in. <laughs> and so if you're like me, that just reminds you to think about these things. Meditate on it. Cogitate on it. Think about it. Turn it over in your mind. How can you apply it to your life? Being in the Word of God, saturating in the Bible, prepares us for the end times. Number two, prepare for Christ's return, not only by getting in the Word of God, the Word of God lasts forever, by investing in your time and things that go forever. Number two, prepare for Christ's return by fighting the spirit of apathyism. 
fight the spirit, not of atheism, but I see a greater reality and a greater danger, and it's apathyism. Now, atheism is, I don't believe in God. That's what an atheist would claim, is they don't believe in God. What I'm talking about, apathyism. And apathyism seems to be the spirit of our age, seems to be the spirit of our culture, the spirit of our world, even increasingly so as the love of many grows cold, as Jesus prophesied here in Matthew chapter 24 that would happen. Apathyism is descending like a glacier, even on our churches. Now, what is apathyism? Apathyism is simply this. And when it, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the things of Christ, ap- apathyism is the idea of don't know, don't care. Don't know, don't care. Don't think about it, don't care about it, don't want to know about it, hardly even have an opinion about it. Not even a category I deal in. I meet a lot more people like that than I meet atheists. Atheists typically are hardcore. I, here's why I don't believe in God. Apathyists just like, I'm just happy with my life. I don't really feel like I need God because I've got money, I've got a house, I have a nice family, I'm not sick, got vacation time. Life's pretty good. And I don't need to worry about all that other stuff. Apathyism. Apathyism is the philosophy that is going to cause many to be surprised on that day of his appearing. Apathyism is what's going to cause many to not be ready for the return of our Christ. Now, here in this passage, I do want to point out one thing that is actually another controversial thing that Jesus says there in verse 36. In verse 36, Jesus says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Now, how can Jesus be 100% God? And God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God knows everything. Now, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. As God, he should know everything. So how can Jesus just say something that he doesn't know? Jesus just said, I don't know this. How could that be possible if Jesus is God? This is actually something that non-Christians will sometimes point out. How can Jesus be God if he doesn't know something? After the first service this morning, somebody who grew up in a Muslim culture came up and said that's exactly the verse that Muslims will point to to say Jesus can't be God because it's something he doesn't know. How could Jesus be God and not know something? So what's the answer? And how do we fit that into what's our understanding of who Jesus is, which theological term for you, it's called Christology. Christology is the study of who is Jesus and our understanding of who is Christ. So how could Jesus be fully God, fully man, and yet at this moment he could say he doesn't know anything, or not, not anything, he doesn't know anything about that particular subject. How does that happen? Well, I'm going to get help from a theologian here, Daniel Doriani. I want to read you something that he says in one of his commentaries. So, quote, Jesus is omnipresent, yet he traveled from place to place by foot, typically by boat or donkey occasionally. When Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem, he walked. He didn't stand in Capernaum and tell the disciples, since I am omnipresent, I'm already in Jerusalem, so I'll stay here and see you when you arrive. (laughs) 
When Jesus walked, he laid aside temporarily his omnipresence. He did not take advantage of his omnipresence in the flesh, even though he had that ability as God. He didn't take advantage of that at that particular moment. Continuing on with Doriani, Jesus is omnipotent. Yes, yet he, unless he ate food, he became hungry. Without sleep, he became tired. Eventually, he slept hard. He did not draw on his omnipotence to fill his empty stomach or to refresh his weary body. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. Yet, he laid aside his knowledge too. Jesus asked genuine questions in the Gospels. In Mark 5, Jesus asked, who touched me? And looked around to see who it might be. In Mark chapter 9, verse 16, he asked the disciples, what are you arguing about? In John chapter 5, verse 6, he asked a man how long he had been sick. On other occasions, he asked visitors, what do you want me to do for you? Indeed, if Jesus had constantly exercised his divine attributes, he would not have led a genuine human life. If he endured no human limitations, his incarnation was a charade. If the crucifixion caused Jesus no pain, how could he suffer for us? If no bodily desires touched him, how can we say he was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin? So Jesus did truly know, not know when he would return. He didn't need to know, nor do we. He finished his work, so he is ready to return. Right there, we see Jesus is fully God, fully man. But when God became flesh and dwelt among us, he humbled himself and he put aside the use of those attributes for a season so that we could have a Savior that when we pray to him, when we call out to him, he understands exactly what you're going through and he can help you endure in any particular moment because we have a God, we have a Savior who knows He's been there, done that. He has walked in our shoes. And because of that, in these last days, we have a God to call on that knows how to endure whatever tribulation, whatever trial we must endure all the way to the end because he endured himself. That is our God. Jesus didn't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. So don't pay attention to date setters. As soon as somebody sets a date, they're wrong. They don't know. We should be prepared for the coming of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient Savior. Jesus says it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Noah's over there building an ark, and all they said was, my goodness, that preacher over there building that boat is nuts. He's crazy. And what did the people do? Jesus says they went about eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, all the normal stuff of life, until one day, ark closed, rain came over apathyism killed them apathyism towards the coming judgment caused them to not be prepared Jesus gives two other illustrations same point he says two men will be in the field one will be taken the other left two men will be grinding grain with a handmill, one will be taken the other left I don't think he's talking about the rapture here I do believe in the rapture of the calling away at the church at the trumpet call of God, absolutely teaches it in First Thessalonians chapter 4. But here in the context, the illustration is one of judgment. Two will be working together. One prepared for the day of judgment. One not caught up in judgment. Apathy killed them. Apathy caused them to not be ready. 
for the day of judgment. Jesus says, beware of this don't know, don't care attitude. Instead, have the attitude of one who is prepared. Like if someone were to come into your house and like a burglar would be coming into your house and you know exactly the time they're going to appear. It's like this in West Richland right now. So in West Richland, we've been warned about there's burglars coming, take advantage of people who are leaving their garages door open at night. And so the, the police are warning everybody in town. They're like, yeah, you need to shut your garage door. In fact, they will ring your doorbell if your garage is left open and say, please close your garage door so that you do not become bait for the thief. There's a thief in West Richland, so we are prepared for the coming of this thief. We, we know this. Movies, our, our secular culture understands this concept. They even make movies about it. This is one right here. <laughs> The whole premise of this movie. He finds out that the thieves, the thieves are coming. He knows what time they're going to be there. And so he gets ready for their appearing. And so what does he do? He does, I mean, his house is, is amazing. He gets the paint cans ready. He gets the fire ready for, you know, to burn the dude's hair. That's not what happened, by the way. This is natural. And so they... Uh, <laughs> They, they, get the, they burn the dude's head and he walks down the stairs and he steps on the nail and you know all the great stuff that makes that movie just a classic. Our, our culture understands this idea. If you know when the hour the thief is coming, you will be ready. And Jesus is using that illustration. He says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And if you know the thief is coming, you won't descend into apathyism. You'll be ready. That's the point. Guard against apathyism. Apathyism will be a constant temptation towards your faith. Apathyism is the constant temptation of our generation. Watch out. Watch out for the don't know, don't care attitude. Finally, number three. Actually, let me share a couple of verses or a verse here. Second Peter chapter three, verses ten and eleven. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That imagery must have had an impact on Peter who heard Jesus give that image and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed since all things are thus to be dissolved what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness because of this we ought to live godly lives robert murray mcshane once said when he would ask people, do you think Jesus is coming back today? And if they said no, he said, be careful. He's coming at an hour when you do not expect. Watch out. Watch out for apathyism. Finally, number three, prepare for Christ's return, not only by getting in the word, not only by guarding against apathyism, but thirdly, prepare for Christ's return through authentic faith displayed in faithful service. Authentic faith displayed in faithful service. In the verses 45 through the end of the chapter, Jesus gives another illustration. He talks about a wise and faithful servant, and then he turns the corner and he talks about a foolish, wicked servant. I think what he's talking about here is he's contrasting authentic Christianity, not against the world. I don't think he's contrasting authentic Christianity versus, versus the world. I think he is contrasting authentic Christianity with fake Christianity. I think he's contrasting authentic Christianity with someone who has the appearance of godliness but denying its power. 
somebody who is going through the motions but never really has trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord. He talks about authentic Christianity first, and he illustrates it in verses 45 through 47. He says there that there is a faithful and wise servant. Master puts him in charge over his household. He recognizes that I am a steward, not an owner. I don't own this. This is my this is my master's house. I'm just taking care of it for him while he's gone. I've given this life, and my job is to steward this life that he's given to me. And when I'm going to present the results of my work. And so he is living in light of the reappearing of the master. And he says in verse 46, Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. He's not just talking about pastors here. He's talking about all of us. He's saying taking our responsibilities seriously as Christians when Christ is away. We love one another. We serve one another. We care for one another. We pray for one another. We share the gospel with the lost. We exhort one another. We serve one another. We do all of these realities. That's what the Lord needs to find in our lives when he appears, when he returns us busy about his labor. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the, so- will the toils of life repay. So this, the hymn goes. So our responsibility here is to be working hard for Jesus. He gives the one last illustration. In verses 48 through 51, he talks about another servant. And the reason why I think this is a fake Christian, someone who claims Christianity but is not a true believer, is he calls him a servant. The servant calls the owner of the house, the master, recognize that relationship that should be there, appears to be there. He's inside the house, calling, supposed to be serving the servants, supposed to be caring for God's people is supposed to be serving, and yet he takes on the name of Christianity and all of the cultural entrapments of Christianity and all of the stuff that we here in the West and we here in the United States have called Christianity, but apparently we forgot what this book says. We call stuff Christianity that's not Christianity. We call stuff that's not in the Bible the stuff that we ought to be doing. We go through all these cultural things and we're missing out on the boat of what real, authentic, true followership of Christ is all about. It's not about business contacts. It's not about taking advantage. It's not about a social club. It's about devoting your life to the lordship of the coming king. Devoting yourself to the family of God and the people of God who will endure forever. It's about deep sacrifice for the cause of Christ in this world. No, this one saw none of that. What did he do? It says in verse 49, this wicked servant beat his fellow servants. He took advantage of the sheep. He took advantage of others. That's God judging pastors who take advantage of their people. Like we see so often in our day. That's God judging people who think they can pretend to be Christians but never have a transformed heart in life as is evidenced by real life change. He says, look, they start to beat the fellow servants and they eat and drink with drunkards. And then look at verse 50. He does not say this about the first servant. 
That servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. He comes on a day when he's not prepared. Apathyism. I don't know. I don't care. I'm having a good time. I'm just doing the thing. I'm just getting all the advantages of church and all of this stuff without any of the cost, without any of the devotion, without any of the discipleship, without any of the service, all the benefits, none of the cost. What's going to happen? What does Jesus say? In verse 51, he says, if you're a Christian in name only, the master is coming. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's eternal torment. He's talking about hell. And I wonder how many people who claim Christianity are truly saved. And I don't know where you stand with the Lord. Only you and God know that. But it's a question worth asking. How can you be prepared? How can you guard against apathy? And that's the point of Jesus' parable here. There are some who are so apathetic, they don't even know. They don't even realize the state of their soul. It's a good question to ask. And my prayer for all of us is the question is, no, I'm not that. I'm not perfect. I'm not talking about perfection either. None of us are that, this side of heaven. I'm talking about striving. I'm talking about a hunger for holiness, a desire for Christ, a desire to know Him better, a desire to be transformed by Him. Listen, that day that is coming will either be for you the best case scenario or the worst case scenario. All depending on are you prepared for that day. The day of His appearing will be the best case scenario for you if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the one who died, the one who rose again, if you trust in Him, if you seek to live for Him, if you try to yield your life to Him and, and all of your imperfections and all of the mess that all this life is as is, is trying to follow Jesus, all the imperfections are just like Peter and everybody else in the Bible, just like all those guys. We're, we're seeking the Lord. We're trying to follow Him as best as we can in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to be transformed by Him. That'll be the best day ever. I mean, that'll be the best. And the great thing about the best day ever is every day after that just keeps getting better. Huh? <laughs> I mean, that's like the worst day of all of eternity is the day you see him face to face. They just keep getting better. I don't know how God just keeps getting better and better and better, but he does. It's the best day ever. Are you ready? For those who are apathetic, those who don't trust in Christ, those who are not ready for that day, that's the worst case scenario. At the hour you least expect, time is over and eternity dawns. And that will be the worst case scenario. Because from that day forward, every day will be more awful than the previous. And it will never improve. Jesus calls it an eternal fire, He calls it an eternal separation. Are you ready for that day? Let's take a moment to pause and just examine our souls. And then we'll have a time of response. If the Lord is leading you to respond, maybe you need to get right with Him. Get right with Him now.
Don't wait. Trust in Christ. Turn away from your sin. Maybe you're a believer and you need to repent of your apathism. Let's spend a moment to do that, and then we'll have an invitation inviting you to come. Let's spend a moment of silence. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, where you confront us and warn us of things that we need to be watching out for. And one of those is apathy towards your word, apathy towards the gospel, apathy towards the lost, apathy towards holiness. And Lord, opening our eyes that one day you will return. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, that that would be the best day ever. Lord, I'm just thinking about that song of Will I dance for you, Jesus? Will I in awe of you be still? Will I bow in your presence? I don't know. I just think I'm just going to fall down and, and just cry for a few years and just thank you. <laughs> just thank you so much for saving my soul. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in our hearts a renewed affection and a renewed longing for your appearing and Let that longing for your appearing drive us to holiness and drive us to love Jesus more and to long for your appearing even more. Lord, I also pray for those who may be walking in apathy, those who have not yet trusted in you as Savior and Lord, or those who may have just been going through the motions. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of repentance. Today would be the day of trusting in Christ, Lord, so that won't be a day that catches them by surprise. That won't be a day that is the worst day of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us and guard us against the temptation of apathy that's all around us. Lord, drive us to holiness. Drive us to Christ today. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.